Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plans, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. How is everybody? I'm, I'm like Carrie. It's like this week has just been a blur and going, and I love your flowers and stuff, but I can't do it. It's right in my way, so I got to move it down there. Is that all right? I, now that I, that's how I usually operate. I do it, and I go, is that all right? And then, yeah, that's bad uh, being a husband. Thank you, Maggie. That's bad. Okay. Welcome. So glad you guys are here with us. Uh, we're in this series on, in Ephesians, and uh, we're getting some good stuff. Paul is... is it, I, I've been, I've really enjoyed in it, but I wanted to hit a couple things before we go. We've been talking about, and we are rallying around, we're taking back some space back here, and we've got a giving campaign. This is above and beyond your, your regular giving. I'm going to challenge you. If this is your church, I'm asking you to give towards this. We are taking over some back space to build out for our youth. Everything from a, we got a, a half pipe back there we're going to do, and some things to just reach the youth around um, here, here's where we're at in the giving campaign, and I'm, I am so blessed and, and thankful. Um, this is what we have so far. We've got 59650 committed out of the $70,000 goal. That's amazing. Thank you. But yes, that's worth a clap. The, the six of you that were excited about that, thank you very much. The other uh, 47, repent. Um, but here's the thing. If this is your church, if you're a guest here today, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. This isn't for you. If this is your church, I don't care if you give $10 or $10,000 or somewhere in between, but I'm asking you to give something because this is your home, and these are may not be your kids, but maybe it'll be your grandkids, or maybe it will be your kids someday, or maybe it's these kids that are in this building already. So I'm asking you to give towards that, and I'm going to stay on that, and, and uh, thank you guys for your, your generosity. Men's Bible study was great. They talked about sewing and, and cooking. We talked about guns and God, so it's a great balance in the house. So it... You like that too? Okay. Um, it, it was a great join us. It's still time. We're, in the next six weeks, we had like almost 20 men, I think, 18, 20 men, and it was just a, a great time in the Lord. Uh, she already talked about that. All right, let's get into Ephesians. <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place this morning, so stay with me, okay? Um, last week in Ephesians 5, we talked about uh, Paul's warning, and his warning was, hey, church, wake up. Wake up. And uh, he makes two absolute statements in this, this section. If you remember, if you didn't hear it or, you, or you, you weren't here last week, you can always go back and you can get it on the website. He makes two absolute statements. One, he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone. So you can know this for sure, that everyone uh, that Paul gives a warning to who practices all these things and more and these things alike. He says, Literally, I warn you as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul takes this scripture and he goes, here, let me tell you really clearly who's not going to be with me in the kingdom of God. And he goes through and he, he, he names all these, these different sins and sexual immorality is one of them. But we, we made sure we had to differentiate between practicing and falling. Because we all fall at different times. But when you make it a practice, you get in trouble. 
Paul says, you don't love me, or talking of Jesus, you don't love the Lord if you're practicing such things. But the beauty of Paul and his word is this. He brings a hard word. He says, wake up. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you practice these things. But then he doesn't just leave it there. He says, now here's what you do. See, the beauty of this scripture, it's, it's, not a, it's not a book of just don't, don't, don't. It's a book of here's what will keep you safe. Here's what God has for you. And then let me tell you how you walk it out. See, if he just said don't, 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 like many of us have done to our children, without telling them how to not don't do it, I don't know if that's the right grammar, but I didn't go to USC. I went to University of Minnesota, so don't hold that against me. <laughs> um, if... if, if yeah, whatever I was saying. <laughs> Paul says this. He says, look. He's like, don't do this, but, but here's how you walk it out. And today's scripture in 5, 15 through 21, Paul shifts from the warning to now saying, okay, here's what you do. Here's how you, uh, you live wisely, understanding God's will, being filled with the Spirit, expressing worship, gratitude, all these things. I want to pray right here as we, we jump into this. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul and his wisdom through the Holy Spirit and the words that he's written. I thank you that he, just, he didn't just write, don't do it, warning, but he said, let me show you what it looks like to walk as a believer of Christ. And he gives us instructions and examples. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, let us hear from you this morning, Holy Spirit, that we might walk in the fullness of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul lays out this practical way to fight against the world, a practical way to through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand as a Christian, to actually be separated from the world where someone might look at you and go, hey, there's something different about that guy or something different about that girl. And Paul lays this foundation of how you walk it out. And the first thing he says is this. He says, look carefully. Look carefully. Verse 15 through 16, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as, not as the unwise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Paul says that, that look, take a look at your life. Understand, look carefully at how you walk. Walking is basically a metaphor for our Christian life. When we say, how's your walk? You know, Christians say, how's your walk? How's your walk? You're like, I don't know, man. I got a hitch in my step or something. People go, what are you talking about? Your walk is a metaphor that how are you walking with God? What does that look like? And, and what Paul is saying here is make sure it all adds up. Make sure what you say and what you do are really close. Make sure that, that when people see you, when they look at you in your jobs, when they look at you in your neighborhood, when they look at you as a father, a mother, a husband, or wife, they're going, I think they, they may follow Jesus a little bit. Now, the reality is this. Sometimes we fail. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm looking in the crowd and I'm going, there's a lot of failures in here today. <laughs> I'm looking in the mirror and going, there's a lot of failure. I, I love to play hockey. You guys know this. I got some of my buddies here today, Paul, JF, and Billy, and some, some guys. I, they, they think I'm a little off, which may be true. You just laugh like we know you're a little off. I, I don't know. There's something about hockey that I, I played goalie growing up, so I never played forward. And then all of a sudden, I got a chance to play forward. And, uh, and now I love it. And so last week I'm playing, and I'm, 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 I'm an idiot sometimes. 
Don't, don't laugh. Look at these guys. You're like, well, you could say amen. That's all right, Jeff. I, we all know that I'm a... So this guy, I, this guy, Rosie, this guy takes a stick and swings it at me. Like, um, and I turn around and I look. I'm like, what are you, what are you, are you serious? And then in my mind, you know, um, uh, I'm like, you, so I, I proceeded to grab him, pull his shirt over his head, his jersey, throw him on the ground, and, and was, so here, here's the point. He gets, <laughs> uh, true story. Now, usually you only get saved once. I've been saved twice. I was saved once by Jesus, and I saved another time when I tried to fight Billy, and I think JF jumped in and saved me. So Jesus has saved me, and JF has both saved me. So, it is so this guy is on the ground, and, and I'm like, it, but he gets up, and I, I kind of skate around, and I didn't even, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't even throw a lot of punches and stuff, but, but he gets up, and then he comes over, he looks at me, he's like, oh, yeah, you're a great pastor. I'm like, oh. I'm like, and, and my, my patent line is, oh, you're going to pull the pastor card now after you just hit me with your stick? You know, justifying my sin. <laughs> Or my fun, whichever you like to look at it. <laughs> there's, there's sometimes in my life, there's a gap between what I say, Pastor John, and, and what I do. In my, my walk with my wife, sometimes there's a bigger gap than I'd like between I'm a, I'm a godly husband and how I respond to her and act. And Paul's saying, look carefully then how you walk. Look at how people perceive you, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as, not as a foolish man, but as a wise man or a wise woman. See, wisdom is this. I know a lot of brilliant people. I've got a guy, one of my best friends, and I'm, I'm ministering to him right now, and military, one of the smartest men I, I know. I mean, brilliant strategist for our nation and, and otherwise, and, and uh I finally looked at him last week, or I was, we're on the phone, and I was ministering, doing something. I said, finally, I said, look, dude, you're the smartest idiot I know. He's got all the knowledge you could ever want. I mean, history and science and all this stuff. But he's, he, he's, he doesn't apply that knowledge, which makes him a fool. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I was doing some marriage counseling. I'm like, how can you be so smart and so stupid, you know? But that's us. See, knowledge is the application of what you know. Knowledge or wisdom is the application of what you know. Wisdom is I take this word, I eat it, I read it, I look at it, I see what Paul says, and then I walk it out. That's wisdom. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and I don't care, but if you don't apply it as wisdom, it's useless. Proverbs says this, my son, if you accept my word, store up my commandments within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, it says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In other words, God is omniscient, all-knowing, and he gives us knowledge, but we need to go back and go, God, give me wisdom to deal with this situation. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Anybody struggle with in their marital relationship? We just talked about this yesterday. I need wisdom in my marital relationship because I don't know how these women work. 
I can't understand all these things, so God, give me wisdom so I can walk it out. Some of you in your business dealings, some of you in a deal right now that's right before you, you need wisdom. You don't need more knowledge. You don't need more research. You need God to speak wisdom into you to do what he's calling you to do. Some of you in life right now are at a, at a crossroads. And God, you don't need more research. You need more wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Hannah Rosen wrote this book, The End of Men. And we talked about this in our, our men's uh, meeting on Friday. And one of the things she did is she, she asked these women what, what she thought, they thought about men today. And this is, is, is what she found. You will find them talking about men, women talking about men, talking about their prolonged adolescence. Men who refuse to grow up. I've heard too, too many young women asking, where are the decent single men? There's a mutually, uh, there, maturity deficit among men out there, and men are falling behind. You know what the issue is? It's not that we have more knowledge or don't have enough knowledge, because you get on the Internet, you can find out anything today. It's that we don't have enough men that are willing to apply the wisdom to that knowledge and cry out to God and go, God, give me. instead we're up there playing video games in their parents' basement until they're 30 years old. Therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for any 30-year-olds who are playing video games in <laughs> their parents' basement in here. <laughs> Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Time is a gift, and no one knows when it's going to end. Time is a gift. No one knows when it's going to end. Time is a gift. A month ago, we're playing hockey on a Tuesday. I wasn't there that day, but they're playing hockey, and one of the guys we play with at the end of the game falls over, they get the ambulance and dies. Time is a gift. I don't know. That's a good way to go, I think. Um, but time is a gift. No one holds tomorrow in their hands. No one. And Paul says, look, match what you say and what you do. In verse 17, Paul talks about understanding God's will. He goes on and he says, okay, so therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul makes clear a contrast here. Again, fools versus those who understand God's will. And, and, and roll with me on this a little bit, okay? He, 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 he very clearly says, therefore do not be foolish. There's the fool. But underestimate, understand what the will of the Lord is. And the number one question I get from people is, what's God's will for my life? Let me, let me help you here and, and direct you a little bit. Foolish words. I don't know what God's will is in my life tongue-in-cheek. So if you've asked me that question again, God bless. We'll walk through it. That's all right. You can ask that question. But let me show you something. Let me show you what the Word of God says. Because the reality is this. We have a lot of lazy Christians in the church. We have a lot of, I didn't hear a lot of amens there, but we have a lot of lazy Christians in the church. And I, when I speak of the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm not just saying this church. I'm not talking about you because you guys are not that, okay? Uh, there are a lot of lazy Christians in the church. They want to take the bottle, they want to rub it, and they say, Jesus, give me what I want. Oh, God, make me successful. Oh, God, make my wife obey. Oh, God, make my husband a better husband. Oh, God, whatever it is, rub the bottle, but they're not willing to dig into this word, encounter Jesus in a relationship, and submit their life to the one who created them. I don't know what the will of God is in my life. Okay. Five questions for those who don't know the will of God in their lives. Number one, if you say you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, number one, 
Are you reading God's word? Are you reading God? Number two, do you obey his commandments of this word? So you may be reading it, but you go, no, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. Sure as heck ain't going to use that one. Number three, have you ever asked him? Number four, do you seek spiritual guidance? Is there someone that you know that maybe is a step ahead of you that you go, hey, can you help me here? I, I'm trying to discern God's will in my life. Can you, can you kind of give me some guidance here? And the last one, have you surrendered your life to him? Or, or is this how it goes? It's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to give you my life until she comes in the picture, then I'm taking it back. Oh, God, I'm going to give you my life until I make a bunch of money, then I'm going to take it back. Because God forbid I have to tithe this big check that I just got. Oh, it got quiet. <laughs> the natural versus the spiritual. We talk about that all the time. The natural and the spiritual run parallel to one another. Let's take that same scenario. Let's take the same scenario and apply it to your marriage, okay? The foolish words. I don't know what my spouse wants from me. Now, let's take the parallels because we say we don't know what God wants from us. Now, let's, let's look how, how it works in our marriage, okay? I don't know what my wife wants from me. Well, five questions you have to know what your spouse wants. One, are you having regular communication with her? Do you talk to her? Do you obey the marriage rules? I mean, there, there are a set of rules in, in the context of marriage. I can't just go out all night and party and, and, and be with other women. There's, there's this covenant that I have. So do I, do I, do I sit? You know, but, but we think in our relationship with God and the covenant that we have with God, I can go crazy and do whatever I want. But then if we come into the covenant of marriage, we know what we're not supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. But do we do it? With regards to your wife or your spouse, have you ever asked him or her about their dreams? What are your dreams for our marriage, for our life? Do you have any godly counsel in your marriage? Is there anybody that, 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 that believes in your marriage that you're willing to go, hey, I want you to walk with us, keep us accountable, and I want you to, to be there with us and pray for us? And then the last one, have you surrendered your life to your marriage, in your marriage, to becoming one? Too many people in their marriage, they're living their own life and they're married. And they're like, how do you live your own life when you're married? Because the Bible says this, in the covenant of marriage, the two shall become one. See the parallels here? Same thing. And in many ways, we can walk in that in marriage, but we don't walk in that in our relationship with God. And God says, it's paralleled here. In fact, I give you this picture in Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to get to this one next week, talking about a, a wife's role and a husband's role and a family's role. God doesn't reveal himself. Here's the deal. God doesn't reveal himself to the casual inquirer. Some of you are casual inquirers. Too many times I'm a casual inquirer with the Lord. In the same way that a, 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 an honest uh, a woman, in the same way that a woman with character a woman that, that, that has value, that, that knows who she is, wouldn't reveal herself to me on the first date or even the second date or not until I get down the aisle with her. In the same way, God doesn't reveal himself. He's not a whore. He doesn't reveal himself. Oh, that messed some people up. He doesn't reveal himself to those who treat him like it. Proverbs 2, 9 through 10, it says this. Then you'll understand what is right, just, and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. 
then you'll understand when. When you search for it as silver and gold. When, when, when you enter into the relationship with Jesus. God doesn't reveal himself to the casual inquirer, but it says very clearly in Proverbs, if you search for it as that silver and gold, if you go after it as that silver and gold, the natural and spiritual run parallel. And, and when, when, I, when God brought her into my life, I pursued and I pursued and I pursued and, and I want to know everything about her and I'd had conversations and we'd be on the phone for 10 hours and, and we, again and over and over again and, and I, wanted, I wanted every aspect of her life a part of mine and it's the parallel and God's like, I want you to go after me the same way you went after her or him because I want relationship. This isn't about a bunch of words. It's about a relationship. It's about a God who sees and cares and wants to speak to you. And, and when you ask, he wants to tell you to go right instead of left. And when you ask again, he tells you to go left instead of right. Who wants to, for you to experience his grace and his love. That's the God I serve. This week, uh, another businessman that I was talking to, and he was, he was talking to a, a, a guy and, and that he does business with, and the guy went to seminary, to which my friend asked and said, hey, you know, who, my friend is not recently saved, but saved, and, and he's very, very intelligent. He wrestles with intellectual Jesus, and how do I reconcile the ark and, and an ass speaking, which was a good one for him, because I just said, just come to church, and you know, you'll be able to reconcile how an ass speaks. And, and he, that's biblical, so you can't judge me for that one. It says it right in here. Um, but he, he's talking to this man, and this man, and he says to him, he says, um, he said, so you went to seminary, what, what did you learn? He's like, oh, I learned all this stuff. What's your relationship like with the Lord? He's like, I don't believe in God. There's a guy that went to seminary. <clears throat> and, and, and then the last person he had a meeting with that day is a guy that he did business with. And this guy was struggling. And, and my friend happened to say to him, he said, hey, this is three months ago, two months ago. He said, you know, I, I know you're going through some tough times. He said, why don't you pray? And he didn't know this guy was a Christian. He knew, he just said, why don't you pray? and ask God to help reconcile you, reconcile you to your daughter. This guy had been, and had been estranged from his daughter for like, I don't know, 10 years or something. Hadn't talked to her, the, the relationship with his ex-wife. I don't even know if it was his wife. It was just a mess. And, it just, you know, and he was trying to get his life in order. And my friend said, why don't you pray and ask God to reconcile, knowing full well that that was part of the angst in his heart. He comes back to my friend to do business with him six months or six weeks later, whatever it is. And, and he says, you're never going to believe this. Now, this is after he had talked to the guy that went to seminary and said, I don't believe in God. He, this last guy that he's doing business with says, you're never going to believe this. I'm not a really big God guy, but I prayed and asked God to restore my relationship with my daughter. He said, I had business in Texas, and, and, and I realized that the last time we had ever had contact was Texas. So I, I did this, I don't know, whatever he did, and I got her number, and I called her. And then we went to lunch. And then she informed, informed me that she's getting married. And in her heart, it was broken because she never thought her dad 
would walk her down the aisle because she had no idea where he was or if he even wanted a relationship with her. And God came right in the middle of this and reconciled this relationship with this girl and her daddy. And, and my friend said, we were sitting there, the two of us, and we're just crying, grown men crying. And he, and he said, I, I was blown away how I went from this moment where this guy that, that, that went to seminary had all the right words, went to seminary, read all the books, said, I don't believe in God. And then this man over here said, I don't really know about God, but I'm going to pray and ask, has this encounter with the person of Jesus. So much so it restores his relationship with his daughter. We cried. (laughs) See, this whole thing, it's, it's not about a book, but it's about a book. It's not about words, but it's about words. It's, it's, it's not about do's and don'ts, but it's about do's and don'ts. It's about this, this powerful scripture in first, or John 1 that says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know why that's so important? Because because the Word of God by itself is just rules and regulations that don't give you any freedom. And and this, 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 this person, apart from the structure of God's Word and the grace and mercy of His Word, gives us into crazyville. But when you take the, the Jesus incarnate and spirit and you, you, you put it with His Word, the Word became flesh, you have this perfect Man, fully man, fully God, who, who, who's experienced everything that you and I have experienced, meaning he's been tempted by everything you and I have been tempted by, and he's walked in perfection, and so much so that, that he said, hey, John Blue is going to be born February 19th, 1966, took me a second, sorry, 1966, and he's going to be born to Jim and Shirley Blue, and I have a plan for his life. And I'm going to go to the cross and die for his sins. And I'm going to bleed a, a, a horrific death so that he might have life. Are you kidding me? That's the Jesus I serve. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. That's who the Jesus is that sets me free. That's the Jesus who for some reason allows me to be a complete idiot on the ice and then gives me grace. I don't want to be religious. Paul gives us the answers in this word to walk out to be the ones that God has called us to be. I don't want to be religious. I want a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's what he wants for you and me. That's why when Joe was singing, I, I had to stop. And I had to look at the giants that, that I face. And I had to sing that song, How Great Is Our God, to declare to those giants that are in my face that, no, 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 you don't get to win. He wins. Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in me, wins.
That's relationship. I got 20 more slides, and I don't care. I'm not going through them. Someone just said, ooh. Gosh, I was just hoping for, you know, quiet thank yous. <laughs> not rejoicing. <laughs> Go back and read the rest of that scripture. It's powerful. This word is powerful and sets me free. God has a purpose for your life. And it's not just randomness. God has each step set out before you, before one of them has come to be. And if you'll just not step to the left and not step to the right and, and allow God to direct you, watch what he might do. Oh, Jesus, have mercy. God's doing something here. I don't even fully know what it is. I watched 80 people in this room, and I, I, I watched people cry. I watched God start to restore marriages. I, I, I watched the miracle of a prophetic word that this guy had never met this woman in his life and just hit it on the nose, and she broke. And God loves her so much that he told some pastor the story of this woman's life without telling her. And he told him that so much so. He loves this woman, Shelly Kelly, so much that he told this pastor this, that he might minister to her soul, and he does the same for you. As Joe and the musicians start to come up, there were, there, ah, I'm not going to do it. There's a bunch of slides. One of, the, one of them, though, I'll, I'll abbreviate. And one of them was about what we, a little bit of what we talked about this week, and is about worship. There are two things that set the foundation in your life and when you build the church. That, don't, don't worry about it, because I'll start reading, and they don't want that. Don't worry about it. Thank you. There are two things prayer and worship. There are two things that will change your life forever. If you're willing to submit yourself to God and pray, and if you're willing to unabashedly worship, what does that mean? It means this, that when, when they're doing what God has called them to do, you submit yourself to the Father. And you go, I'm not embarrassed See, raising your hands, you know what that is? That's a sign of submission. That's like, God, I'm not in control. You are. It's not a show when I do this. This is, this is, this is me trying to humble who I am, my spirit, and just going, God, I, I, I quit. You're in charge, not me. Worship, here's what I, I God's doing something in, in prayer and worship, we pray over there every single Wednesday, and we've done it for five years straight, and we do not miss by the grace of God, not because of us. And sometimes we've had a couple times where there's one person, and then lately we're getting, God's just bringing people. Today in worship, God was doing something. And here's what I was saying in my slides. You have to be able to recognize where God's moving. 
And you have to be able to stop in that moment and go, God, what are you doing here? See, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a two-sided coin. On one side, it's, it's, this, it's this that God could destroy me at any moment, and he probably should because I'm an idiot. But the other side of the fear of the Lord is this, that, this great awe and wonder of who he is, and it balances everything out. See, the awe is this, that he doesn't destroy me, that he lets me live and he gives me grace through his son. And, and, and when the moment happens like it did earlier in worship, when you can feel it's palatable, the spirit of God in a place, it's, it, as, as you start to repent and you start to, you, you know, you, God have mercy. I want us to be a people that in this setting that you can feel the spirit of God moving and you go, oh, my conversations are over right now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, when you're in this space and worship's going on, please don't talk. In other words, don't have a conversation. We do that. I do that all the time. We come in and the worship's going. Joe's up there and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Where you been? No, no, no. When you step into this place, there's a, there's a holiness to it. When we receive communion and, and we're, we're finishing up, and I've talked about this the last couple weeks, Come back and allow God to do what he's going to do the rest of the day. Then go out there, eat donuts, have fun, laugh, whatever you do. It's great. But there are moments I don't want you to miss. In your personal life, if you're committed, if you're willing to submit yourself to the word of God in prayer and worship, you'll start to sit in these moments and, and, the, and the spirit of God will fall on you. And he'll deliver you. It'll bring peace and it'll restore your marriage and it'll restore your relationships and it'll restore your heart. That's the God I serve. Not always good at it. In fact, I'm, sometimes I'm really bad at it. But I know that I know who Jesus is. We're going to pray and this is the time where we receive communion. Another holy moment. Let me say this again. I'm repetitive, but that's all right. Um, everything we do in this space, you need to do out there. You don't have to just do communion on Sundays here. You can commune with God each and every day. You can throw your hands up and worship, not while you're driving, please, but in, at home, you can throw your hands up and worship wherever you're at. Doug and I, we have offices next to each other. And David, who is our boss, he, he'll come in and, and we're like, we crank music back and forth when people leave, most of the time when they leave. But he's like, this new worship song, he cranks it up. And then I'm like, yeah, really? Okay. So I crank it up and he's banging on the wall. It's just, we just want to worship. As we receive communion this morning, this is a holy time. Because we take the elements, the bread and the wine. And Jesus said this, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He says, when you receive this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did on the cross. Remember my body was broken for you. And by my stripes you are healed, physically, mentally, spiritually. And he took the wine. And he said, this, this cup of wine is a representation. And, and he said, when you drink this, remember the cross. Not only remember what I did on the cross, but remember that blood that was shed washes you clean. 
that when you humble yourself and repent, I don't care if you've done it 500 times, 5,000 times, the Bible says that I am clean white as snow. It's crazy. But when you walk out these doors, walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? No condemnation, no guilt. You're free in Christ Jesus. And the reason that he wants to free you and me is so that when you walk out these doors, you'll bring hope to a hopeless world. Yes, we'll be free, but yes, I'm going to bring hope to that guy, that girl, that coworker, that neighbor, that son, that daughter. See, the hope of Jesus lives in you. It lives in you. And your grandkids need it. Your kids need it. They need the hope of Jesus. Your coworkers need it. So, Father, now as we come and we receive communion, Lord, before we receive the elements, search our hearts. God, if there's anything unclean, God, that we would repent and set it at the cross. Oh, God, search our hearts. God, forgive me. God, thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that I have eternal life because of Jesus in the cross. Now, God, let me... Let me leave this place and be your hands and feet. Let me love you well. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We have communion stations to the right or the left in the back. And we do, if you're a guest, kind of a family style. (laughs) You know, there's no order. But the order part is checking your heart before you come.